All right, welcome everybody to ASCP's podcast, Our Experience. My name's Chad Wurz. I'm the chief executive at ASCP. And alongside me is my sidekick and partner, Tom Hansel of Hansel Health. And we are excited this week. Our segment, our reoccurring segment that we call Leading Not Bleeding is entitled A More Perfect Union. And it talks about the labor challenges in the long-term care space. And even before the pandemic, staffing in nursing homes in the long-term care space was struggling, particularly with nurse assistants and pharmacy technicians. So we're going to talk about where it stands now and where we're going. And we're super thrilled to have what we feel like is a celebrity in the room with us, Lori Porter. And she can talk about her background. But welcome, Lori. And thank you so much for being on. Hey, thank you both for having me. It's uh, great to be here, and I love leading, not bleeding as a theme. So well done, and right. and thank you. Yeah. So, like, kick us off. Like, start with you personally. Like, what what's your background and story, and how did you get where you are today? You know, it's it's such a long. It's been a long, long journey. Uh, 43 years I've been in long-term care. I I live in the Ozarks, and there aren't very many famous people from the Ozarks. So I got a really wise idea when I was in high school that I was going to move to New York City and be a soap opera actress. But my, my mom was the dietary manager at our local nursing home. And she uh, came in one night. Yeah, I dropped out of high school and she woke me up one morning. She said, hey, you're going to be late for school. I said, oh, yesterday it's my last day. She said, well, honey, if you're not going to go to school, you're going to go to work. And I said, yes, mother, I know. I'm moving to New York City to be a soap opera actress. And she said, girl, you don't have enough money to get out of town. <laughs> but I need a dishwasher down at the nursing home. Well, when you're 17 years old and you've told all your friends you're moving to New York to be a soap opera actress. You don't rush home, call them up and say, guess what? New York's off. I've had a better offer. <laughs> yes, I've been hired on down at the nursing home. And they're like, what? The chicken plant's not hiring? <laughs> and I understood what they meant because in 1980, it was uh, much more popular to work at a chicken plant than it was to take care of elders in a nursing home. And Unfortunately, all these years later, 43 years later, that still remains to be true, despite our many efforts to to change that dynamic. So it's a great topic for us to cover today. And, you know, I started as a dishwasher and reluctantly became a CNA. It's way too long of a story to to get into, but I did not answer a calling. Uh, now, later in life, I figured out I did. And my calling actually came in the form of a call light. I'll get to that story <laughs> if, if I can fit it in in our time frame. But Anyway, no, no, nothing about me could be a nurse aide. There was nothing special about me. And uh, so after a pretty rocky start, not planning to stay very long because my mother had given her notice and moved. So I thought I only had to be a nurse aide for 30 days till she left the facility and then I could quit and do whatever I wanted to. And on that 20th day is when that calling came and you know, it's a long story, but I essentially was not kind to an elderly lady. And, you know, it's probably what has driven me through the 43 years, that very experience. Although there's been many people that have been instrumental in my ability to have this 43-year career in long-term care as a high school dropout. And one of the things I love most about it, Chad and Tom, is the fact that the sky's the limit for people like me. 
I never saw myself getting a formal education. My mom and I, it was a pipe dream to think, I, you know, I would have had to hitchhike to New York. My mom and I lived in a one-bedroom apartment in Pineville, Missouri, behind the beauty shop. I didn't see myself becoming a pharmacist or a physician or even a teacher, anything. So on the 20th day, I answered a call light of a resident that I had not ever cared for before. She wasn't on my hall, but I already didn't like her because the staff didn't like her. Mm. I had heard about her in the break room. Oh, she takes an hour. It's, she wants everything so-so. We have to put makeup on her, not just rosy cheeks, the whole thing, the eyeliner, the whole ordeal. Nobody's got time for that. And then they would whisper as if this was the reason they had to do it. We only have to do it because she's private pay. <laughs> And so for some reason, we then all got resentful of private pay. Hmm. And there's so many dynamics that are at play on the front line that you don't know about as much as you aspire to know and respect nursing assistants. There's so many things about them that are still unheard. They've been told, just not heard. And so... Anyway, this 20th day, I enter this residence room and I instantly know where I am. I, she had her call light on. And when I stepped in the door, I instantly knew that, oh, my God, this is her and I don't have an hour. How I knew it was her Well, she was the most stunningly beautiful old woman I'd ever laid my eyes on. And even to this very day remains the most stunningly beautiful old lady. If she were living, I've never seen one more beautiful. She, Her hair was fixed. Her makeup was flawless. She demanded that the sheet be right up here to her neckline when she was in bed. And nobody really ever said why, uh, but they just resented her for putting on her call light to have it pulled up. I wasn't even certified yet. I'd only been there 20 days. And so she looked very frail to me. And I have two-track mind going. She's stunningly beautiful. I wonder if she was a movie star. Oh, my God, I don't have an hour. She's not my resident. Oh, my word. I now know why she wants the sheet up there, because her body has failed her. And she was nothing but little bones with the little flesh over it all, you know, contracted up. And... She wanted to go to the bathroom, and I was afraid to even touch her. I thought, you know, I, she was so fragile. And so I got her in the bathroom. I mean, I transferred her to her chair, got her in the bathroom, and she has this ritual of washcloths. I'm going to try to make it really quick, but I think it's really fundamental to why we exist. She had this washcloth ritual. She needed like 15 washcloths prepared for the toileting experience in varying degrees of temperature and dampness. She said, honey, do you know about the washcloths? I said, yes, ma'am, I do. I'm preparing the washcloths and she's on the toilet and she is so, her spine is so bent, she can barely raise her head enough to talk with me. And she says, could I have the hot cloth? Now, keep in mind, two trains of thought. Stunningly beautiful. I don't have time for you. This is ridiculous. All these washcloths. I have other residents waiting on me. Why do I have to do this? Is it just because your private pay? You know, I've got two tracks running in my mind. Could I have the hot cloth, she says. I get bitten down and I get the warm, hottest cloth and I 
you know, I kind of sway over in front of her and shift hips and sigh. <sighs> Could I have the moist cloth? <sighs> Just kept shifting hips and sighing. And about the seventh washcloth, she was on to me, man. <laughs> She took all she had, but she looked up at me and she said, honey, if you didn't have any more patience than this for the little old people, maybe you've picked the wrong line of work. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, my God, what have I done? First, I was shocked that I didn't say, lady, you ain't telling me nothing I don't already know. I've been looking for a way out of here for 20 days. But no, I thought, who do I think I am? How dare I? And that night I learned, that evening I learned that we had a high school dropout can have the power and the influence to change lives. Hmm. And I thought, where else can I go and have this much power and influence? But we carry the same amount of power and influence to destroy dignity, which is what I did that night to Miss Punton. I stripped her of her dignity, and in my opinion, that's one of the worst forms of abuse. And I've spent my life trying to pay it back, mm. trying to pay it forward, trying to help CNAs understand how valuable they are, how important they are, and help them see their true value when they've been marginalized by a society. And so after being a CNA for seven years with my limited knowledge, I became a nursing home administrator in 1989. I did awesome. fairly well at that and became a regional. Two years later, over 10 skilled nursing homes here in the Midwest. And no matter how I high I climbed on the corporate ladder of provider side of operations, I could never make sure that we had enough CNAs, that we had enough everything to keep the families from being upset and disgruntled. And I thought until we have a full-time focus on CNAs, lifting them up, recognizing them, educating them, in 1995, we hung a shingle called the National Association of Healthcare Assistants. And so that's what I've been doing for the last 28 years. Hmm. I'll take a breath now. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, I mean, I, my reaction, number one, is I think three thank yous. Thank you for the 43 years that you've done this. Mm -hmm. Thanks for what you're doing today, and thanks for what you're going to do with this association, because it's so important. As a consultant pharmacist, I used to somewhat pride myself on the fact that when I would give in services, I was intentional about making sure that I included, it was for nurses, but that I included everybody, whether it was the CNA staff or the people that worked in the kitchen, because ultimately, and you kind of, I think your moment of recognizing your calling is the same moment that we all recognize if we really are passionate and work in this industry is these are lives you're taking care of. And Absolutely. the people the people that know the most about someone else are the people closest to them. I'm a pharmacist. I come in once a month for every, you know, 35 or 40 patients in a nursing facility. CNAs are there every single day doing every single task. And if somebody sees somebody's smile droop or they start speaking in a way that they normally don't speak, that's the first chance we have to fix something uh -huh. that's happening. And the only people that can recognize it are the people that see them every day. 
Right. And, you know, you and I have been part of uh, a number of collaboratives since the onset of the pandemic, especially. And and we know that there's a lot of love out there for CNAs, but they don't run in the circles that we run in to see that love. They see managers, supervisors, and people that control their paycheck and their schedules and their vacations and things like that. And so I try very hard to bring other folks to the table, like like you guys and, and the social work. Various people that I know out here really uh, try to understand CNAs and are certainly willing to listen to them. There's so much to be learned. I'll save that for, well, no, I'm going to go ahead because it's not really uh, pertinent to what we're really going to talk about in these labor challenges. It somewhat is, but what we have learned here at the association over the last, uh, well, all 28 years, 25 years, it was developed three years ago, but what we learned, uh, Chad, is all my years of being an operator, I went to seminar after seminar to hear what a terrible leader I was. And that if I would only make a better culture, if I would only this, if I would only that, and all I could say is I'm one person and they are a hundred. And there's no way one leader can fill a hundred empty buckets that are expecting me to make them feel valued and important. The best gift I can give is help them become empowered and important in their own eyes. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're missing out on in culture. It isn't about pay and benefits. It's about treat my soul. You know, I never was a big fan of uh, some of those soup books that came out for every kind of soul imaginable. <laughs> but caregivers, care, sorry. I no, that's good. Don't, don't turn me on to those folks. I don't know. But anyhow, so, but nurses have a soul. If they didn't, they wouldn't do what they do. Mm-hmm. CNAs are the very same way, only they're broke souls who still buy talcum powder, who still buy lotion, cookies out of their own pockets for the residents and patients that they care for. And, you know, that is not a worker. I always object every time I see us talk about workforce in this area. They're not workers. We have conditioned them. This industry called long-term care and post-acute has conditioned them to be task talent only. They are so much more gifted than task talent. Workers do tasks. CNAs build relationships. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you said and that. The, and they're so important. You know, I don't say, I've never said I have never given the lip service that as big a CNA champion as I am, I've never said they're the most important, not one time, because I do believe, and you said, you know, I'm just a pharmacist a minute ago. That's some BS. Don't ever say that, (laughs) because it takes every one of us, and it doesn't make CNAs feel better when someone, no one has to take themselves down a notch. I tell administrators all the time, they're always going in there in an in-service. This place could run without me, but not without you. Stop saying that. It's a federal regulation that you're here. <laughs> it's not making us feel better. Right. <laughs> tell me that you care. Yeah. Tell me that you know something about our plight in life. Mm. But 
They will respond. You've probably seen we use the word care force a lot, and it's seeming to pick up steam. I got Secretary of uh, Health and Human Services, Secretary Becerra, using care force. So I'm awfully proud about that. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, the, the key word that you said is relationship. And, you know, I'm not going to equate what pharmacists do and physicians do and nurses do and CNAs do, because we all are trying to do within our authorities best patient care. And right. none of us can do it without building relationships, not only with each other as colleagues, but particularly with people, with the patients. And, you know, physicians have been asked to see more and more patients per hour at the primary care office. Pharmacists have been asked to fill more and more prescriptions. CNAs have been asked to care for more and more individuals. And that process in healthcare has led to this mechanistic and to your point, workforce-oriented philosophy, task-oriented philosophy, and it has destroyed the ability of any of us to develop a meaningful relationship with the patient when that's all we really desire to do. Mm -hmm. that's, right. our, that's our passion. And the answer to that isn't difficult either. It's called time. Do you have time to take care of patients? Do you have time to develop relationships? Do I have time to understand that you're a third shift auto worker and because of that, I'm going to medicate you differently, or I'm going to make different decisions about your medication. And, you know, certainly I don't have the answers. You talked about the fact that it's more about meaningful work and being valued and respected. And I a hundred percent agree with that, but at some and level, that's cheap. That's cheap. It's cheap. That doesn't cost anything. <laughs> it's cheap. But at the same time, by the same token, we do have to get more investment so that we can afford more people so that we can spend more time with the people that we're taking care of. And, you know, I, again, Absolutely. we'll talk about we'll just, what your ideas are for solutions, but that's, you know, that's part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Didn't is spot on. It's uh, astounding to me that um, the regulations call for person centered care. Oh, yeah. But we can't we can't find any surveyors that can des describe it. What is person centered care? So we're not surveying for it. Person centered care has really become a cliche. As a matter of fact, I'm on a think tank tomorrow about exactly that, how person centered care has just become a cliche and not necessarily anything meaningful. But think about it. We have regulations around it, but yet no one's defined it. No one has defined what person-centered care is and how much it would cost. So when there's no target, you can't hit it. Yep. And, you know, to me, I'm, a, I'm an old solutions gal. I don't like to keep beating my head up against a brick wall. But this country has never figured out what to do with old people. Yep. And it's really getting worse. I mean, ageism is at an all-time high. I've been reading a lot about, you know, Gen Z, and they don't want to live as long as we have wanted to live. Yeah. As weird as that sounds, it just flabbergasts me to think about the, the many changes. And I know it's generational, but, you know, the thing of the matter is, is what is ailing long-term care the most is this care force challenge, this labor challenge. And it does not have to be this way. Yeah. But it isn't contingent on leadership. It's contingent on investing in the front line, investing in ways to get rid of the roadblocks. Do you know that to become a nursing assistant in this country, most states will not allow online platform learning, hmm. not even for the textbook portion? 
No. You can become an RN online, but you have to get approved in every state, state by state by state. And if I work at Walgreens to use a pharmacy, if I, uh, you know, a commercial, if I was uh, working at Walgreens and I in the pharmacy and I didn't get off till eight, I can't take off as a single mom and go sit at a nursing home in a classroom for two weeks or to Votech or a community college. So I, I can't make a change. I can't become certified because I can't afford to. And so what happens is, is that, you know, we are where there's so many challenges and roadblocks that online platform. And so, you know, you may know that I was appointed to the uh, White House Coronavirus Commission on Quality and Safety in Nursing Homes, right, the summer of the pandemic. And it was clear there are so many hurdles to that is making this labor challenge far more challenging. So if I worked at Walgreens and could get my lectures online, my study, my textbook, if you will, I can put the kids to bed and do my lessons at midnight. Yep. And I can position myself. Mm -hmm. So we built an organization, the acronym is NICE, but it stands for the National Institute of CNA Excellence. NICE. And it is an online platform. We built it with the CNA prep course in mind. We went out and got subject matter experts. As a matter of fact, I need to hit you up for ASCAP to provide us some type of educational lecture that would be pertinent to the CNA role and responsibility and medications or anything that you we, we feel that they would need to know. But we went out and procured subject matter experts. For example, you guys might be surprised to know that the regulations, nursing home regulations, are not even a required portion of the curriculum. <laughs> so CNAs are held, at nurses too, they're both held accountable for regulations they don't know and, and don't even know how to access if they wanted to know. Yeah. So I always say I found out call lights were a regulation the hard way because I'll save that story if you invite me back. But really what it boils down to is we need to drop this. We need a national certification or at least a waiver. You know how they made the national waiver for the TNA, the temporary nurse aid. There's no reason policy can't make a national waiver for online. To There's no way we'll scale the 400,000 needed CNAs today doing it by, because right here in our local 50,000 population small city, there's seven nursing homes and they can't get their people certified. So there's no possible way to fix the labor challenge when we can't get people into classes to become certified and prepared to serve. Yeah. Let me ask one thing, and then I'm going to turn it over to Tom for a question. I, yeah. I just want you to know that like you, and I'm going to do this online and on air, like you have our full support on anything that like, if you need a speaker, if you need this done for the certification, if, if I can't do it, we will find some of our members to do it. Awesome. Anything that, that you need, because this is so important. And, yeah. you know, what's interesting, well, it, we were going to we were going to have a pharmacy technician on this show and they had to cancel for an emergency, probably because they were asked to do something, <laughs> a task <laughs> uh, at their jobs. Right. Right. But, right. but they followed a similar you know, they follow a similar path as a CNA and right. we've set up national things. So we would, you know, anything that we can do to help 
sort of establish that those kinds of approaches are helpful. Those certifications mm-hmm. that are available online and national are helpful. You know, we're happy to support that. And I think- Do you guys support the CNA taking a certificate uh, program to become, some states call them CMAs, certified medication yeah. aids. I was gonna, In Kansas, it was MedTex, and in Missouri, mm-hmm. it was MedAids. I, I think absolutely. Number one, absolutely. And again, anything that we can do to support that, because that's the reality is the staffing struggle isn't just in CNAs, it's in nurses, it's in all kinds of personnel. And the more you can empower the staff that you have, the better mm-hmm. it's going to be from a patient care perspective. So I think of a very viable solution and, and part of any CNA's training should be some sort of drug safety, medication safety, and some basics in case, hey, it's Friday night and we are missing okay. two nurses. At bare minimum, can we use some of our CNA staff to support this? And then from a solution perspective, could this be a routine for them? Could this be another way to add responsibilities to them that's helpful? Especially now with with barcode technology, EMARC technology, you know, maybe not so much for the insulins or, you know, for for things that did to take some skill and some training, but passing the normal PO meds through barcode technology is, I wouldn't say foolproof, but it definitely helps someone who who doesn't really, you know, have that training in MedPass. Right. Yeah, I agree uh, completely. I I know that, um, you know, it's often said, or I've observed even when I was an administrator after being a med aide, that the nurses, my nurses never really felt very good about pushing a med cart, right? You know, they felt it was beneath them to some degree. But when a CNA was pushing the cart, you'd have thought they were pushing a gold brick. You know, they were, (laughs) right. I'm on the cart, baby. That's the way I was. Oh, no, no, don't get that up. Don't be touching the cart now. So, you know, we really felt fabulous about it. And uh, anyhow, so Tom, what kind of questions you got, bud? Yeah, yeah well, first of all, I, I love that story that you told at the beginning and, and, and how you connected. You realized the humanistic part of, of what we do. And it's very easy when you're passing meds or, or distributing meds or, or dispensing or pharmacist consulting. It's very easy to get into that 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 part of a mindset i'm just doing this job just to get it done with or get my shift over with and and so you know you you immediately had a connection a human connection and you know cnas and and maybe in the nursing home world but i but outside there i think pharmacies and pharmacists from my background i I didn't really understand or appreciate what a cna was and, and and what they did until i started working for a nursing home company that yeah. owned a pharmacy and and when they celebrated CNAs annually and they had the CNA of the year award and they'd win a trip to Disney World and just how touching the stories were and uh, behind you know the the, the CNAs and they really they really are the heartbeat of that nursing center and they're the ones that have the most contact directly with that patient so I I really appreciate and value that story and, and how it hit home I wish everyone could hear could hear that story Thank but you. But it's it's also a very unappealing job, if you will, because they're dealing with 
you know, the, the, the dirty side of it, you know, they're dealing, they're dealing with, with having to have the responsibility for that patient. They're dealing with uh, the complaining patient. They're having to, to clean up all the, the waste and, and change the, the undergarments and all that kind of stuff. So I can understand how that's not a job that maybe a 19 year old young lady or, or young man would, would, would like, like to have. It's very manual labor and very difficult labor. So understanding that when we talk about, yeah, we're having all these geriatrics that are retiring, we're going to go from 53 million to 17 million. That means there's going to be over the next five years, that means there's going to be 17 million people that are retiring from the workforce. And I imagine many of those are going to be CNAs. Then we have our younger generation coming in and they've got all kinds of options. They can be a online TikTok influencer or something of that sort, which seems a little bit more appealing than uh, maybe being a CNA. What do you think that we can do as, as an industry to make this job more appealing, to make younger generations want to go and, and, and want to be a part of that nursing home environment, want to be a part of, of, of the CNA world? Well, you know, here's the good news. The good news is there are still people, and there, we've proven there are still many, many people who want this type of career. It, there's not, as I said earlier, there's not many places where you can go and have the opportunities that long-term care provides. The problem is long-term care keeps it a secret. Yeah. Now, you can't imagine how hard it was to become an administrator. Nobody tells you these things. And so actually it was a surveyor that plotted my, you know, course to becoming an administrator. But we're engaged in a couple of states in recruiting. And I have to tell you that we are exceeding our goal in that those grant projects in terms of the numbers of people we are recruiting to become new nursing assistants. In one of the states, we would have a lock on both the recruitment and the certification, but one of the states is one where the Board of Nursing absolutely will not allow online. But even with those obstacles of still having to match recruits with classes, in less than eight months, I think we were well over 900 people yeah. recruited. And so, and we kept it dialed down. We only have one and a half recruiters working that on that particular project. The thing of it is, is that you can't really, you have to create an experience on the onboarding because you can't wait by accident in 20 days in hopes that somebody will make a connection with the resident. We have to have CNAs who are willing to tell their stories. Our preceptor certification program helps facilities out develop six to 10 to 12 of their CNAs into preceptors to where they become specialists in relationship building, not teaching skills. You know the skills if you're certified. Yes, I have to do a checkoff to ensure that, but the real part of precepting is relationship building. I have to, you're stuck to me, Tom, if I'm training you, I'm the glue. I'm the only glue that can keep you stuck there until I help you build your first meaningful interaction with a resident and then you're hooked mm -hmm. and all of that dirty stuff 
Yeah, it's nasty. It can be. It doesn't have to be. There could be some investments. There are things now that could help this. It's just not incentivized to be helped in those ways. But it is, there are things, and, and we're pretty upfront about it. But here's what I tell people, and I did this in the, in the Welfare to Work program back in the Clinton administration when they were helping welfare recipients get off of uh, welfare and, and jobs. And so we created a school and uh, certified, a, recruited a lot of people to become nursing assistants. And many of them went on to be RNs, but people thought Tyson's couldn't get anybody in their line. PenMac couldn't get anybody in their line. And, I, and so I represented the 12 nursing homes in our county. And I stood up and said, um, well, now how many of you wanted a job? Because the Tyson's man asked that and they all raised their hand for him. I thought maybe he was building some kind of rapport. So I said, how many of you wanted a job? And they looked at me kind of lame, raised their hand, like we've already answered this lady. <laughs> and I said, how many of you would like a career? Mm-hmm. And one lady on the front row said, honey, I didn't finish past the eighth grade. I can't have a career. Mm. I said, ma'am, if you get in my line today, you'll be on your career path tomorrow. That I can guarantee. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. And I said, you know, I was a CNA down at Mack County nursing this home. And eight years later, I was running the joint. Mm. Where else can that happen? You know, so... We don't have a lot of logical benefits to sell, and there are two kinds of benefits to people. There is emotional benefits and logical benefits. The one positive thing that nursing homes have a lockdown on is emotional benefits. Uh We just don't focus on those. I go out and speak to conferences, administrators, owners all the time, and I'll say, If I were to ask you, how many of you could tell me how many residents you rehabbed and sent home in the last 12 months? And there can be a thousand of them sitting there and maybe 10 hands will come up. And I'll say, well, if I were to ask you how many deficiencies you got on your last state inspection, a thousand hands go up. They're experts on what they do wrong, but haven't got a clue how many lives they gave back to people. Those are the stories we have to lead with. And as far as the labor challenge, national recruitment campaign, national certification program, get their state test on the ground at a skilled nursing facility. We can make those arrangements and partnerships. There are solutions to this labor challenge. However, I would maintain that We are going to have to adjust pay. It is up. I read today the national average CNA pays 17 bucks an hour. Still pretty light in many, many areas of our, especially here in the Midwest, you're still seeing 11, $12 an hour. And and you can't even live like a human. No. You know, I was out at a conference and somebody said, this operations guy, you're going to be so proud of us, Lori. We started a pantry. I'm like, you want me to celebrate a pantry? Why don't you just pay them enough to go to the grocery store like you do? Right. That's really the issues here. So, and we, you know, there's always a need for money. So, you know, we can keep beating that dead horse, but we have to change one way or another. This nation has to change. So what do you think are the real tangible challenges that you face at the federal? We'll start at the federal level. I recognize state by state's a long process, but at the federal level, what needs to get knocked down or what would you do if you were sitting in that, that same white house 
task force and you were given the authority to wave a wand and what are the three things you would do? Well, I would um, bring in the subject matter experts to develop and launch a national recruiting campaign, a call to action, a call to service, a call to be a part of the nation's care force and take care of our nation's elders. And it has to be a message that resonates with people. It can't be just a static job description type uh, recruitment. It has to have more. I would have a national certification platform and I would immediately begin direct funding that, you know, the CARES Act money, the COVID money was non-directed. I would direct funding to invest in the front lines of care across our nation because elders are vulnerable no matter where they are in the care settings. And so my first, uh, you know, it's always you triage things, you stop the bleed, and then you start fixing the things that created the bleed. And that would be my approach and exactly what I would do. I would get a care force in place, developed, pull out all the stops and invest in that, and then ensure that the nursing homes were able to support it, whether that was an increase in funding or government programs or what. And sort of in a similar question, what are the three barriers that you get when you say that's what we need to do? What are the three things? Oh, this is why we can't do this. Well, it depends on who you talk to, but it's either, oh, they have plenty of money to pay more. I think that's a theme. That's a theme. (laughs) Right. You know, they have plenty of money and the providers are, we're broke. We need more reimbursement. And that is a shell game and a dance that's been going on for 43 years of my life anyway, in which I've never seen anyone truly invest. The residents have never had a win. People thought that OBRA was going to be a resident win. It wasn't. It never has been. The residents and the CNAs have never had a win in health care and in long-term care. And I think it's time that we do. So we have to quit. You know, I'm on a task force. A guy brings a stuffed elephant, says it is the elephant in the room is reimbursement. I'm going to take a dead horse, stuffed horse next time beating the dead horse because those discussions (laughs) have not gotten us anywhere. Right. 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 We're just in this holding pattern while millions of people have died yep. as a result of it. I was on a meeting a few weeks ago where six hours was spent debating whether we'd send a staffing letter out or not. Finally, I said, who are we representing here, the residents or the associate or, or jobs? Yeah. Because somebody's got to recognize the resident at some point in time and lobby and work on their behalf. And so, you know, CNAs, uh, CNAs know a lot that people don't want told, too. So we have to keep that in mind. But ultimately, those are the things I would do. You know, we saw in the pandemic the calling out the National Guards and stuff, but there was no real training plan. That TNA program was just anybody you could pull off the street that was willing to work a few hours to feed somebody or answer a call light. We have a lot of fixing to do. And every day that goes on, like I said on that meeting, 10 residents have died of dehydration while we've been debating whether we'll sign a letter or not. Yeah. Well, I think one theme that I've picked up, particularly the last maybe 18 months, is this this con it's clear that the administration and the the agencies are out to get the owners of the facilities. They think they make money hand over fist. And the problem is 
they think the path to get to them is directly through the patient and the provider. So they think if we make it bad enough on the providers and bad enough on the patients, the residents, then the owners will see that they make the right investments. And we all know that that is insanity. To your point, well, it, it is the dead it, horse that we're beating. It is. And the answer right. is, if you need to get to the owner, if you if you despise the the owner of the nursing home because you think they're making too much money, figure out how to get to them without leveraging patient care and without making providers, put, putting providers, and, and I'm including CNAs, nurses, pharmacists, physicians, without putting them as leverage and making it impossible for them to feel like they can do their job right and provide good care. I mean, that, that's the wrong answer to solving that Well, this, this has always been a nation that punishes the good for what the bad do. Yep. Yep. Right. They're the enablers of bad care. That's all I can say. Yep. Right. Business only gets by with what business is allowed to get by with. And I don't absolutely despise capitalism, but it's pretty hard to swallow in healthcare. Yeah. Right. When when we know that DONs get big bonuses, my co-founder, she could have had a huge bonus annually if she would have come in under her medical supply. That is asking a nurse to cheat the patient. Right. Yeah. Right. And that that we can't always take it. I know when the restaurant prices go up, it's so the owner doesn't take less. Yeah. But in healthcare, sometimes we have to take less. That's all there is to it because it is human lives. But I have never thought a nursing home was overpaid. If every penny of that Medicaid check went to quality care, it still wouldn't be enough. Right. So right, that right. puts a many that puts many of us in this same holding pattern, right? Yep. Where we want to champion the nursing homes, but sometimes they're not always right. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead. I was going to say, Lauren, Lauren, let me ask you, being both a CNA and an administrator, if you had an opportunity to advise an administrator on what they can do in their building uh, outside of uh, of pay, obviously that might not, not be in their total control for the CNAs, but how can they differentiate their building, their experience for those CNAs? What, what can they do to the environment? What can they do to the culture? How can they differentiate themselves to make it a, a better, more appealing place for those CNAs to come to want to work and to stay? Well, there's some, uh, you know, I think, I, I don't remember, Tom, if it was you or Chad who, you know, mentioned that we, you know, in in-services and stuff, we want to recognize the CNAs and such. What CNAs really want are to be engaged they want to be part of solutions. They want to know their opinion matters. If I were ever an administrator again, the lessons I have learned is I would not an employee council like we've heard in the past. If it is, it'd be on steroids for me because I would create a budget and finance committee among my team members from the front line of every department. And, you know, I'll tell you have to help administrators understand, though, because if my administrator would have come out and said, Lori, I want to invite you to a budget and finance committee I'm putting together, I would have went, huh, what? I can't even balance my checkbook. 
You can't accept that because that's not the reason you would be asking them. Oh, no, Lori, I don't need you to balance the facility checkbook. But in the position you serve in, you are critical to advise me on supplies and what the residents' needs are. Oh, I walk away from there 10 foot tall. Mm -hmm. It's engagement. And then engaging them beyond the tasks, they'll walk through fire for you. Mm -hmm. They'll walk through fire for that leader. You don't have to be Mr. Personality or Mrs. Motivator. You just have to be sincere. And I would teach every employee I have the business of long-term care because that can answer thousands of their why. Mm. That's awesome. Teach them the business so they're not ticked off at the leadership all the time. Mm -hmm. There are some reasons things are the way they are. Include them. Don't drag out the Medicaid manual. That's not necessary. But when I talk to our members, I tell them, if Sam Walton had been told you can only serve 100 customers and no matter what their needs are, you can't charge them more than $247 a, a day, how many Walmart would there be in the United States? CNAs and staff are capable of understanding why things are the way they are if people will stop making excuses and just provide the training. And then people can embrace this. Even on the days when the culture stinks, we can get through it as a team, but we're allowing people to work in long-term care as individuals. Mm. Task, talent, bring them in. No longer abuse your core group. Learn from your core group and keep them moving forward. All right. I have two quick questions before we wrap up this. What, what is an amazing podcast? I can't oh, wait. I can't you. wait for people to hear this. But so two questions. One is I, I seem to remember you establishing an, a director of nurse assistance. Is that right? A position, an, a yes. position that that does what you just suggested at least from a perceptive standpoint, puts them on par with the other leaders of the nursing facility. The DNA becomes yeah. a uh, department head, reports yep. equally to the DON and administrator, operationally administrator. Many of CNA's work is operational and, and much of it is clinical. So the DNA reports to those. The nurses will legally always be the clinical managers and mm -hmm. CNAs legally will always need to report clinical things to their nurse, the charge nurse. But nurses no longer have to go run down CNAs, which they resent to see if they've done their vitals, see if they've done their showers. The DNA and the six to 10 certified preceptors manage the department. They set up to three goals at a time. It's called the Enclave Principle, and it's a it's a model of care that we developed because it doesn't shouldn't matter who owns it, who runs it, how many administrators or DONs you go through. The, the re relationship to protect is the one between the CNA and the resident, and no administrator or no owner can change ADLs. So this, the Enclave principle creates kind of a dome. So ADL and that relationship between the CNA and the resident goes on no matter what's happening outside the Enclave. No, and I'll speak again for consultant pharmacists. I did it for about 20 years. If I would walk in a facility, I mean, again, I tried to have relationships with CNAs and include them in training. But if I could go in and talk to a DNA and say, hey, listen, I'm worried about this 
side effect. There's 38 people in this nursing home on this drug, and I want to make sure that these things aren't happening. Can you help me collect that information from your team? I, that would be profoundly important. So well, be amazing. and that would be great. And maybe there's an opportunity for us to work on yeah. a program that they could tap into, you know, kind of generically. One of the things we're trying hard to do here at the association is put the word observation on par with assessment. Yep. Because you say assessment in the wrong audience. And if it's about CNAs, yeah. even the docs, they'll just start losing their mind. They can't do assessments. They can't do it. I'm like, Jesus, why do we have to do right, that? Right. <laughs> uh, you're right. They know they can't do assessments. They've never asked to do assessments. But why can't we use the word observation, yep. which, in my opinion, is, is every bit as important as assessment? Mm. A hundred percent. And and put that make that a professional terminology that is coincides with CNA. They're the it. observers. I love that. That's the great. rest are the assessors. We're the observers. Yep. But we do just like uh, the government now refers to them as direct care workers. I never knew what was wrong with CNA. Yeah. So, you know, there are many things we could talk all day, I know. And maybe one of these days, uh, if it's popular enough, you'll have me back and we can explore it some more. But the Enclave principle is up and running in a number of facilities. We have turned it into a best practice. So now facilities can take the journey on their own using our tools and resources on the platform. And the DNAs have, uh, you know, point click care and stuff like that isn't, you know, they don't have Enclave in mind. So we need to have the automation is where they keep their scoreboard and they can see how they're doing according. Generally, there are three goals that the Enclave sets are falls, skin care, and probably something like 100% compliance on bathing or something. Yeah. So they win as a team and lose as a team according to the goals they set as a team. And so there's no charting mechanisms for that, but we on the platform we've developed it because the DNAs wanted a hydration report process. And so we're creating some tools and resources to supplement that as well. That's awesome. All right. The last question is, you have a picture behind you of the Capitol and a bunch of people in front of it. And I don't know what the picture is, but it looks cool. What's the picture? It, it's about 500 CNAs in front of the nation's Capitol in 2000. Go to a wide angle on, on her. There you go. 2000. Some, we got it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, they were 2017, I believe. And uh, we had an amazing experience. They love visiting the Capitol and they lobbied very hard on behalf of their residents. And I have to say that uh, I'll never forget John McCain, rest his soul. He invited one of our members in, kicked the two suits out, the two lobbyists out, spent 45 minutes with my member sitting down and just learning more and more and more about what CNAs do. So I think they have a good place on the Hill. That's awesome. And I think they deserve to be everywhere the rest of us are. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, explaining that picture. And, and again, thank you for everything that you've done and everything that you're doing. It's such important work and we appreciate it. If you don't hear it enough, you should at well, least hear it from us that we appreciate thanks. it. We appreciate what your, what your members do. Thank you so much. And I appreciate having uh, the opportunity to share our stories. Thank you, guys. Lori, for me, I I love your energy and I love your heart and passion. 
I don't think being a soap opera star is out of the question. So I would, you know, encourage you to maybe continue on that New York dream. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I am going to become a geriatric comedian because the residents deserve some laughter, too. And I love to make fun of them. And so every once in a while, I'll do a tour of nursing homes where it's really for the residents. I just fell into it by accident because an administrator said, hey, well, you do a program for my residents. And so that's kind of how it started. But one CEO told me a few years ago, you traded in the soap opera for a soapbox. <laughs> so well, I, I guess that's where I'll stay, Tom. I, I mean, we'll throw, I'll throw one other level of support out our producer Krista works at the DC Improv and she can get you on the open mic night there list. You go. We talked about this the other day. So DC's there you go. Clo- DC's we, close when to you're York. here at night after you've done the hard work, maybe you can go to the comedy club and try it out. And we'll be there. Try, yeah, some, nurse, front row. try some nursing home humor. I yeah, think it'd be great. Be great. <laughs> That's a All right, guys. Well, thanks so Thank much, Lori. You. Thank you. You bet. And Have thanks everybody. Bye bye. We'll see you next time well, thanks, on Krista. Our experience.